and racial reconciliation. Would you say that with me? The cross and racial reconciliation. The cross and racial reconciliation. And, and what we're going to look at from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 to 22, what we're going to see is a biblical perspective, a biblical theology, theology, that doesn't have to be a fancy word. It's just what the Bible has to say about. That's what the word theology is. What the Bible has to say about redemptive kingdom diversity. Redemptive kingdom diversity. What's the Bible have to say? And the Bible has a lot to say. And we're going to look at one passage of Scripture in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 to 22. If you have your Bibles, please open there or turn into your phones and, and, and see Ephesians 2, 11 to 22. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. 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 So just after New Year's Day, uh, Sarah and I took a few days and we headed south to Laurel, Mississippi. I'd never set foot in Mississippi before in my 61 years of life until last couple weeks ago. We went down to Laurel, Mississippi, and it's where one of those fixer-upper shows called Hometown is filmed. And it's a delightful, quaint, uh, small southern town, and, and we got to see some sunshine and enjoy a few days around 70 degrees. 
Before heading home, we went to Montgomery, Alabama, where we visited both the Legacy Museum and the National Memorial for Peace and Justice. In careful and compelling detail, the Legacy Museum tells the unbroken line from slavery and lynching to the modern-day mass incarceration in the United States. The museum chronicles the Atlantic slave trade, uh, the Middle Passage, the uprooting of millions of Africans treated as cargo to the Americas. It narrates appalling accounts of scientific racism. It reports how clergy twisted the scriptures, such as the curse of Ham in Genesis, to justify slavery. It tells the short-lived era of reconciliation, uh, that uh, time when just after the Civil War, sociologist W.E.B. Du Bois said, the slave went free, stood for a brief moment in the sun, and then moved back toward slavery. It chronicles the decades of oppression uh, called Jim Crow segregation. African Americans, particularly in the South, were subjected to farcical laws such as voter registration examinations. Are you familiar with the voter registration or called literacy exams uh, in the South? For instance, here are a few questions from a literacy exam which African Americans were required to take in order to, to register to vote in the southern states. Here are some questions. How many jelly beans are in the jar in front of you? That, that question had to be answered. How many windows can be counted at the White House in Washington, D.C.? How many seeds are in a watermelon? How may the county seat be changed under the constitution of your state? Uh, draw five circles that have one common interlocking part. Okay. I mean, just for fact-checking the preacher, if, you know, just Google um, a voter um, literacy exam Alabama, and you'll see uh, replicas of these exams, these tests. One exam in Alabama had 30 questions with a 10-minute time limit. And one wrong question, one wrong question, and you fail the exam. Of course, whites were excluded from the test due to grandfather clauses written into the law. The Legacy Museum is an informative, sobering, two to three hour experience. About a mile from the museum is the National Memorial for Peace and Justice. And by the way, both of these sites are, are, are accessible to anyone. I mean, the, it's $5 for both sites. So it's a very accessible um, educational site. This solemn site, the National Memorial for Peace and Justice, this site has documented and memorialized every case of lynching in the United States. 
listed by state and county. 800 rectangular-shaped steel columns suspend from the ceiling as if being hanged. On the columns are etched over 4,400 names and dates of racial terror. Plaques throughout the memorial explain the various reasons blacks were lynched. In one case, a man was lynched for allegedly, allegedly writing a note to a white woman. Another black woman was lynched when a white uh, merchant accused her of stealing a ham. And still another was lynched just for voting. Three others were lynched in Duluth, Minnesota, before a mob of 10,000, no reason given. And over 50 documented cases of lynchings occurred in the state of Illinois. The museum and the memorial are teaching tools of an organization called the Equal Justice Initiative. The Equal Justice Initiative, EJI. The EJI is a not-for-profit organization providing legal representation to people who've been illegally convicted, unfairly sentenced, or abused in state jails and prison. The EJI was founded in 1989 uh, by Brian Stevenson. Brian Stevenson. Uh, Brian Stevenson's life was featured in a movie that maybe some of you have seen called A Just Mercy. Uh, Michael B. Jordan plays uh, um, Brian Stevenson, and Jamie Foxx is also in the movie. Stevenson states that the museum and memorial exist for the purposes of restorative truth-telling. Restorative truth-telling. He says that when we avoid the uncomfortable but necessary conversation about our past, if we avoid that, we become vulnerable to relive it. But truth-telling transforms. Truth-telling, you see, the truth sets us free. The truth sets us free. And redemptive remembering, redemptive remembering precedes the gift of reconciliation. And I'll be the first to confess to you, church family, that as I was experiencing uh, both the museum and the memorial, I was taking it in, I'll be the first to tell you that there was a part of my flesh that wanted to be defensive. Okay? But then I saw this quote by Brian Stevenson. He says, each of us is more than the worst thing we've ever done. Do you believe that? Each of us is more than the worst thing we've ever done. And when I saw that quote, I thought of our text. Because isn't that what we just read here in Ephesians 2, 11 to 22? Each of us is more than the worst thing we've ever done. Here, that, let me modify that to a big idea. Here it is, here it is, here it is. Jesus Christ can make us more than the worst we've ever done. Will you say that? Jesus Christ can make us more than the worst we've ever done. That, that's, that's the heart 
of Ephesians 2, verses 11 to 22. And, and, and how does this happen? Well, Paul tells us we have to start with who we were. We start with who we were. That's verses 11 and 12. And then from there, we need to proceed with what Christ did. You see, that's, that's verses 13 to 18. Do you see that there? So who we were, and then what Christ did, and then Paul crescendos with who we are. And that concludes the passage there. That's the flow. Christ has made us more than the worst we've ever done. But it requires redemptive remembering. Redemptive remembering about first who we were. Verse 11. The great apostle Paul tells the Ephesian church, therefore remember. You see that? Therefore remember. that Now, that's the only imperative in the first three chapters of Ephesians. That's the only command. That's the only, here's what you need to do. What do, what do I need to do, preacher? Remember. Rem you need to do some redemptive remembering. Remember what your life was like before you came to Christ. Remember that. Remember when you were outside the promises of Israel. Remember that. Remember when you were outside the law, outside the covenant, outside the citizenship of Israel. Remember. Remember in your life when you were without hope. Remember when you were without God. Remember when you did not have a true king. Remember when you didn't have proper leadership. Remember that. Are you hearing what the Apostle Paul is saying? Paul is no squishy pluralist. Paul does not hold to some mushy, relativistic religion. You have your God, and I have my God, and you do you, and there's many paths up the mountaintop, so let's try to get along and hold hands and sing Kumbaya together. That's pretty mushy. That's pretty mushy. That's not what Paul says. Paul says to these Ephesians, you remember when you were outside the saving grace of the world's one true God. One true God. You remember that. And it's this God who has made himself known to this people, Israel, revealing this word concerning this salvation signified by these practices practices what's that namely circumcision the defining fleshly mark of belonging to the one true god of israel paul says in ephesians you didn't receive that mark you were an outsider you were known as the uncircumcised by the circumcised you were known as the unchosen by the chosen. Remember that. So, so there was a time when you were not in the story. You weren't in the story. Remember that. And, and, and church, let's be clear here for just a moment. It's not as if all the Ephesians were impoverished before they came to Christ. See? We're talking about, and then, and then they came to Christ, and then everything got better financially. No, that, I mean, maybe for some, but really, this was Ephesus. Ephesus was the wealthiest city in the wealthiest province of the Roman Empire. And so Paul says, you remember when you were outside the promises of God, and you didn't even care. 
and you didn't care because you were spiritually dead. That's what Paul says earlier in chapter 2. You were dead in the trespasses and sins. What's that mean? What does that mean to be, to, be, to be spiritually dead? It means you are unresponsive to God. That's what that means. It doesn't mean you can't be moral. It doesn't mean you can't pick up the mail for your neighbor when your neighbor's on vacation. It just means you're unresponsive to God. That's who you were. You were dead. You were dead. And, 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 you, were, and you didn't even care about that because you had every material thing you could ever want. You had climbed the top of the ladder and then it dawned on you, you're on the wrong ladder. Remember that you were far from God. Do you see the value of redemptive remembering? Redemptive remembering works in first century Ephesus. Redemptive remembering works in Montgomery, Alabama. And it works in Champaign, Illinois too. And you know why? Because God won't waste the, the worst thing you've ever done. He, he won't waste the worst thing you've ever done. God has the power to write your story into his grand story. Amen. Yeah. It doesn't matter what that story is. See, it's a success story. It's a failure story. It's a victory story. It's a defeat story. It's an embarrassing story. It's a sinful story. A secretive story, the story you, you wish no one else knew about. God can even use the horror of a nation's legacy of racism redemptively. He can, because he won't waste the worst. He can make us more. He can make us more than the worst we've ever done. I believe that. Do you believe that? Well, how do, I, how do we know this, preacher? Oh, keep reading. Verse 13. I gave it away in the reading. It's just this beautiful, divine, redemptive, redemptive remembering leads to a redemptive, but now. But now. Listen, your worst is no match for God's but now. But now, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So whereas verses 11 and 12 speak of who we were, verses 13 through 18 speak of what Christ did to make us more than the worst we've ever done. And what he did centers around these phrases in our text in Christ, look, 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 look at the scripture. In Christ, blood of Christ, in his flesh, and through the cross. So, so God's but now brought a new bloodline. And the Son is the source of this bloodline. So the Gentiles have been incorporated. And by the way, let me just clarify who the Gentiles are for us. Okay? Just ask yourself this question. Do I have... Hebrew blood in me. Okay, you're a Gentile. <laughs> all right? Which is pretty much about all of us. Okay? Okay, well, no, no, I'm European. Uh, no, you're a Gentile. Okay, well, no, I have, I have Asian background. You're a Gentile. I have African. You're a Gentile. Latino, Gentile. Indigenous, you're a Gentile. 
unless you have Hebrew blood, you're Gentile. Gentiles. We're, we're pretty much a church of Gentiles, see, like Ephesus, who've been brought in. See, we were outside, and we'd been brought in. We'd been brought in by the blood of Jesus Christ. These verses say that Jesus, the Jewish Messiah, in his crucified and resurrected Jewish flesh, this Jesus takes both Jews and Gentiles and makes them into a new humanity. Jesus is the epoxy glue of peace that keeps us together. Verse 14, look, he has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Now, scholars like to converse about what Paul meant by what's the dividing wall of hostility. And most think that the word wall referred to the law of Moses. Um, the laws and regulations and ordinances which called Israel to separate from the Gentile nations. Okay? Some scholars argue that Paul was referring to an actual wall which archaeology found in the first century temple at Jerusalem. It was a wall called the Soreg. The Soreg. I've got a picture of a sign that was in the Soreg. Uh, so this Soreg, this, this wall was actually about four feet high, which went all the way around the temple, and it was a, a boundary. It marked the boundary for the Gentiles. And in the Soreg, you see up there in the Greek, here's the translation, no stranger, no stranger is to enter within the barrier round the temple. That's the Soreg, that four-foot-high wall. No stranger is to enter within the barrier round the temple and enclosure. Whoever is caught will be himself responsible for his ensuing death. So, so much for guest services. Hey, okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that was there, that was there, that was there. And, and some scholars say that that's what Paul is referring to. Well, but Paul's point is that Jesus has broken down that wall. Amen. And he's destroyed that sign, Amen. see. And, and, and he broke the wall down by his broken body on the cross. For in his killing, Jesus killed the wall. Verse 15 says, by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. Now, what does that mean? Well, it doesn't mean that now that Jesus has died on the cross, I'm allowed to kill and steal and commit adultery and pillage and, and, and covet and break the other commandments. No, that's not what that means. It means that, it means that I'm not condemned. I'm not condemned. If we confess our sins, I'm not condemned for my sins, that's what it means. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The condemnation for being a lawbreaker has been removed. And only by being in Christ, only by the blood of Christ, only in his flesh, and only through the cross can the hostility be removed and reconciliation occurred. You see, in his grand story, God chose Israel to be a blessing to the nations. In Genesis 12, God said to Abraham, through you I will make a great nation, the father of many nations, and through your nation all nations will be blessed. 
The Jews had received the gift of God's revealed word. The Jews had received the law of Moses, divine truth, the spectacle of Sinai, thunder, lightning, the, the, the pillar of fire by night, the cloud by day. It was supernatural. God had elected Israel for a reason, to be a blessing to the world. Question, what happens when the nation called upon to be a blessing to the world becomes so corrupted that you can't tell the difference? See, that's Ezekiel 5.6, Ezekiel 5.6. And Israel has rebelled against my rules by doing wickedness more than the nations and against my statutes more than the countries around her. For they have rejected my rules and have not walked in my statutes. That, that's why the Apostle Paul tells us in Romans chapters 1 through 3, Romans chapters 1 through 3, that, that both Jews and Gentiles are guilty before a holy God. There are no innocent parties in this room. And your pastor's not innocent either. But Jesus is the innocent one. And he came. And the ultimate injustice and prison abuse fell on him because though he was blameless, he was lynched on that cross for your sins and mine. Let me look at verses 14 through 17, church. Jesus is the subject of every verb. Every verb. He is. He made. He broke down. He abolished so that he might create, so that he might reconcile, so that he might kill the hostility. He came. He preached. He is our peace. He came in peace. He preached peace. He preached peace to you who are far away, to you who are near. Verse 18, verse 18. For through him we both have access to, in one spirit to the Father. You, did, can you hear the Trinity? Huh? God the Father sent God the Son, whose death created one new people, united by God the Spirit, for the glory of God. Huh. Remember that. Remember that. Brothers and sisters, there is no racial reconciliation apart from the cross. The, 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 the gospel is not racial reconciliation in general. It's not a reconciliation based on commonly agreed upon principles so that we can chase down our own human desires without conflict. Gospel reconciliation comes from Jesus Christ who in his savage death on the cross created for himself a new people united by his spirit for the praise of his Father's glory. Our text asks the question, why are you all in this room together right now? And the answer is... Jesus. Jesus. I was sharing um, the meaning of this passage of Scripture with Derek Somerville. And we talked about its significance. And, and here's, here's what Derek said to me. He said, I'm thinking of the hymn, The blood will never lose its power. The blood of Jesus Christ is so very powerful in reconciliation. It, it, has, it has power over those areas that you don't feel can be reconciled. You may be here today thinking that there's a place outside the reconciling capacities of the cross. But no, 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 no. There are no exclusions to the power of the cross. There's no fine print 
at the bottom of the paper. It's, it's absolute. There's no sin the cross can't cover. There's no evil the cross can't forgive. There's no past for which the cross can't atone. Your sin does not dictate the cross's power to do what the cross can do. And as a result of the cross, we are reconciled to God. We're no longer enemies. God loves us. He wants us. You are a desired, wanted, chosen child of God by grace through faith in Jesus. That means he's not mad at you. He's not annoyed with you. He's not irritated with you. He wants to make you more than the worst you've ever done. And because of the cross, we're also reconciled to one another, you see. The two are now Christ, one family. God has made it possible through the cross for all nations to be called God's people. In Christ, there's one multi-ethnic family of brothers and sisters. This is who we are. This is our identity. And if I'm united with Jesus, and you're united with Jesus, then we're united by His Spirit. And I can't leave Jesus. Where else am I going to go? You can't leave Jesus. So we're just going to have to figure out how to live together in love. And that's what the Ephesians had to figure out. And even in the most everyday mundane matters like mealtime. Because everybody's got to eat. And that's something that the early Christians did together a lot. They had shared meals. And this built community, but it also presented a challenge. So, 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 so imagine a Gentile Christian inviting a Jewish Christian over to their home for dinner. And that, that Gentile Christian went and, and went to the market and selected the, the very, very best cut of pork. What, what, what's a Jewish Christian to do? What, what's going to... See, I mean, the, the, shared, the shared table was the acid test, you see. See, they're, see, they're going to have to figure that out. And pragmatically, it would have been much more comfortable to have a Jewish church in one part of town and a Gentile church in another part of town. And you know what? It would be more pragmatic and easier. But that's not the vision of Ephesians 2, 11 to 22. The, the vision of this text is what one scholar calls the Ephesian moment. That social relational coming together, the uniting of cultures into a single community to experience Christ, to experience Jesus. And in the first century and beyond, the gospel flourished because people from all ethnicities and cultures found truth and love and belonging in the single divine God-man, Jesus Christ. That the death of Jesus on a lonely Friday afternoon in Jerusalem was the intentional, aggressive, costly initiative of God to adopt into his family people from every nation and tribe and tongue. Jesus did not cover his eyes in the hopes that he would not feel obligated to leave his seat in heaven. Instead, he looked upon us standing sinners and he intentionally gave up his comfortable seat. And he embraced the discomfort of the cross so that we might sit and reign with him 
for all eternity. The, bru the brutal death of Jesus negates any notion of our salvation coming by passive means. Now, if our vertical reconciliation to God required intentionality, then our horizontal reconciliation necessitates the same intentionality. Amen. And so we're called to act intentionally because of who we are. And you see who we are in 19 to 22? Paul offers these intensifying images. It's like he can't make up his mind. He's, he's, he's mixing all these metaphors. He's driving English teachers, you know. <sighs> he... he he says, he says, he says, we're, we're citizens of a kingdom. No, 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 wait. No, no, we're family members of God's household. No, 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 no. We're living stones in a holy temple. You see that? You are no longer strangers and aliens, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the, the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. These verses answer the question, what will we look like when Christ makes us more than our worst? What will we look like when Christ makes us more than our worst? Well, look around. See, look around. You're going to look like a holy nation. No, no, you're going to look like a family. No, 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 you're going to look like a temple. You remember those Gentiles who couldn't, who couldn't go beyond the sign of the temple? Well, because of Christ, now they're a part of the temple. And so this is why this question, can I go to heaven without belonging to a church, that's a bad question. That's a bad question. Here's a better question. Can God's power flow through my life if I am unwilling to be grafted into a community of love, truth, and mission? And the answer to that question is no. No. No, because whenever Paul talks about God's power, he always talks about the church. Power of God, therefore church. And you may push back and you may say, well, look, my religion is private and I don't want to pray with others. I don't want to talk to people about it. I don't want to discuss how I'm feeling about my relationship with God. And these verses would challenge you because one brick does not a temple make. How can one brick inhabit all that God is? You need other Christians in your life. I need other Christians in my life to know Christ and grow in Christ and to remind me of who I was and what he did and who I am. Hmm. And when the community of living stones rises to become a temple of the living God, when the world sees this, Oh my goodness, it's life-changing. It's life-changing. It changed my life. It's changed your life. And it has the power to change lives. It does. It does. I close with just Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6. It says, God raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 2, 6, God raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So we are ascension people. We are ascension people. And our mission is to get used to seeing life from the seat of God's right hand. That's our, that's our mission. And when you do, you will see this world from God's perspective. 
you'll see your you'll see your worst from God's perspective you'll see what Christ did from God's perspective and you'll see who we are from Christ's perspective and 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 here's Christ's perspective here it is as, as far as Jesus is concerned <laughs> there are only two categories of humans on earth those who are in Christ and those whom Christ desires to be in Christ. Because He is why we're here. Amen. He makes us more than the worst we've ever done. Amen.